Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the Theater Podcast, intimate, personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and our guest today is none other than comedy gold, Julie Halston. If you don't know who she is, oh my gosh, you're missing out because she is a phenomenal performer, a phenomenal person who everybody just needs to know. I actually met her uh, a little while ago because I was part of the production team that put Rolling Calls together and new audio comedy from Broadway Podcast Network. And she is, uh, she's one of the leads and just floored me with not only how funny she is, but just how nice she is. And side note, this interview was the first in-person interview the full-length in-person interview I have done since before COVID, which, by the way, was episode 79. That, that is uh, about 250 episodes ago. So I don't know what that says about things coming back to normal because they sure don't feel like they are. But gosh, I'm glad to have an in-person interview again. And I'm so glad it was Julie. It was so much fun to work with her, so much fun to meet her. Can't wait to share this with you because gosh, she just she just had me in stitches for, for the whole interview. So you know the drill. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, find me online. And know everybody, please enjoy this episode with Julie Halston. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our guest today was most recently seen on Broadway, co-starring in Tootsie, and was recently awarded the Isabel Stevenson Tony Award for her advocacy on behalf of the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation. Additional Broadway credits include On the Town, Hairspray, Gypsy, Anything Goes, and The 20th Century. She's a founding member of Charles Bush's theater company, and her television credits include Gossip Girl, The Good Fight, Almost Family, and Divorce, among many, many others. She is also reprising her role as Bitsy Von Muffling in in the Sex and the City reboot, and just like that, for HBO Max, <gasps> Miss Halston's web series, Virtual Halston, Miss Halston, oh, I just gave it away. That's our guest. Virtual Halston became a pandemic hit with over 40 episodes on YouTube. She's now the asshole talent agent owner, Dinah Levine, on the newest Broadway podcast network scripted original podcast called Rolling Calls, Julie Halston. Oh Welcome my the goodness. Podcast. Hello. 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 Um, that was really, oh my goodness. I guess I've worked. <laughs> Once or twice. I guess. Um, I think it just means 
I'm older, but um, no, it's really, <laughs> it's so weird to like hear your resume. And you know, it's so weird, really weird for me, because as a person who um, uh, doesn't really sing or dance, I've done a lot of Broadway musicals. I just find that <laughs> I think it's either a very sad state of affairs for Broadway or, or I've just been incredibly lucky. But, you know, in Broadway musicals, usually they always need to have a funny lady. Right. There's always the There's funny lady. There's always that wacky character who sings in like a Rex Harrison way. And that's <laughs> Julie Halston. Um, so wait, let me turn this off. Um, so yeah, I, um, I'm really excited. I do remember when the pandemic started. I was like, well, I guess I'll just go to bed for like three weeks. It was That's, supposed to only last like, like three that? weeks and remember then it was that? two months. And, and yeah. yeah, maybe like a month and you go like, okay, you know what? Maybe it's a good idea. And, uh, you know, I need to kind of like stay in, feed the cats, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then it just went on and on. And that's when everyone just, you know, um, got crazy, just basically lost their minds. And um, Jim Caruso, uh, who does uh, Jim Caruso's cast party at Birdland, said, you need to do a podcasty thing or something. And I was like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 wait, really, Julie, you, you should do this. I'm like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> he asked me three times. Finally, he said, I'll help produce it. Well, it really became a hit. I mean, we had 41 episodes, and all I did, which was great, I mean, Jim and I really worked it out. We had this fantastic tech person, Ruby Lochnaw, who's very talented in her own way, Love and Ruby. should, by the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it publicly, should be in Wicked playing Elphaba. She's fan freaking tastic. I'm just putting it out there. Um, you know, she's 20 years old. She was 20 years old. She knew, like, how to do everything. You know, mm -hmm. I can barely turn on the phone. And she, we were like, well, we'd like to do, like, you know, video clips and, you know, fly things in and everything. She was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we, we, we got this show. And what we would do is the first, like, 20 minutes were us, like, fooling around, doing videos, you know, talking about Xanadu, whatever, whatever we <laughs> wanted to talk about. And then I'd have like a special guest. You would not believe the guests I got. Nathan Lane, Bill Irwin, Lou Black, Mary Lou Henner, uh, Santino Fontana. I, I mean, it was crazy. Um, but you realize they're sitting around. <laughs> Nobody's doing anything. Nobody's doing anything. So I would just say to them like, you're not doing anything. Can you talk to me for a half hour? You know, and it became so popular. And we would always have an adult beverage. Um, Mercedes Rule, Michael Urie. I mean, I can't tell you that it was fantastic. In the midst of this, I ended up doing a number of indie, indie films, one with Charles Bush called The Sixth Reel. Uh, again, very COVID conscious, you know, we were all separated and whatnot. And yet we had to be on a set. No one got sick. I was stunned. 
um, did some indie films. Then I did some, I did Gossip Girl and just like that. In the midst of all this, I ended up um, getting a boyfriend. <laughs> Who, wait a minute. Okay, so wait a minute. And then got a Tony Award. <laughs> so one day I was sort of saying something to my manager like, wait, what's going on? Like, is anything happening? And he was like, wait, Julie, you've done like three independent films, two TV series. You have a hit web series, a boyfriend and a Tony Award. I think you crushed the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, you're right. Okay, thank you. Um, but it 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 has been really hard because, you know, the backdrop, of course, is that there were people who didn't make it, mm -hmm. people who died. Um, I think I can speak for every actor in New York City by saying we are still in shock over Mark Blum's death. I, I mean, he was one of the first people that, you know, we had heard about. Um, it's just been a time of really uh, tough losses and um, and also just, you know, people left the city. Every weekend on 55th Street between 8th and 9th, I would see another moving truck. And it was just so sad to me, you know, and they there were young people who didn't want to pay high rents anymore. Makes sense. And older people who were like, we're out, we're retired, you know, that's it. And um, so that was very difficult because, you know, the theater is not only the lifeblood of so many of us, but it's also a New York situation. It's an institution in New York. It produces billions of dollars. And so to see this, you know, kind of crash was very depressing. Um, so, yeah, but we're kind of coming back, right? I mean... I would like to think so. Yeah. I mean... Cautiously. Cautiously. And in most houses, I don't think... I don't know if there's any now that still are, have mask mandates. Um, okay. I think Kite Runner did, but they just closed. And also, I'm going to go see Linda Lavin and my friend Daniel Isaac in You Will Get Sick. At the Laura Pels, and that is a mask mandate. The title is "You Will Get Sick." You will get sick. So you yeah. wear a mask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Subtitle is "You Wear a Mask." Yeah. Damn it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and I must say, I am still wearing a mask in the theater, and I'm not. Yeah, I'm still wearing a mask because I do know people who are still getting sick. Yeah. And the thing about a performer is, like, when I have to be on a set, I can't zoom it. <laughs> I can't be like, hey, Sarah Jessica, I'm here and you're there, but let's do a scene. No, you can't. And then you miss lots of money. I can't do that. It's it's your career. Yeah. Your I mean, career. there's so many people take that for granted. And it's it's been kind of normalized too. Uh in in good and a bad way. And the bad part, I think, is just because people are uh, are not caring as much as they used to to try to prevent the spread and prevent whatever the case is, right? And so now it's like, oh, so-and-so's got COVID, oh, blah, blah. But there are certain people that when you can't get out of bed, you have no income. You have, yeah, like all across the spectrum of jobs. And, yeah. And it's, it, the internet 
has made things possible in a way that never before have we been able to do things, but you still can't <laughs> just imagining. Yeah, I was going to say, you still can't go see a theater show where everybody's zooming in. But I was thinking, have you seen those little remote robots with like, it's a monitor on a stick that somebody's uh, oh, no. controlling remotely. And so like their face is there and they're controlling it. And so they're just like zooming around and uh, yeah. Okay. So, so no, just, so I I'm haven't just, seen this I'm yet. I'm just imagining like a cast full of these, these monitors on sticks just going through singing and dance, trying to sing oh, and that dance might and choreography. Be, that might be, that might be next. That might be next. We have drone fire, uh, light shows and fireworks shows. Oh yeah. No, so, yeah, I know. This is next. I know. Oh, Robot theater. Oh. And now the big question for a lot of performers right now is, are we staying on Twitter? <sighs> Yeah, I it's know. been two days. I know. Give it, give it some time. Give us yeah, some time. That's what I've, I'm going to give it time. It's going to crash on its own. Like, I hope it, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk. I have a hard time looking at him, let alone <laughs> listening to him. <laughs> and, well, and him and Kanye. That's a whole separate oh. conversation. My, my friend, my friend the other, with the other day with like a, a teenage boy was like, Mom, there's a bunch of Yeezys for sale on the internet right now. I don't know. Like, what's going on? Oh. I was like, oh, oh there's a reason. Know. There's a reason. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, the changing of the names and this or the that or whatever. Where are the meds? Where is the doctor? <laughs> Where, you know, Kim is silent. <laughs> She's silent. I don't know what the hell go is going on with like I thought every time I look Pete Davidson's date dating another celebrity and I thought he was with Kim until like yesterday when oh, now no. he's with somebody else. Oh honey, you, you follow, you're so far back. Do you follow this stuff? Oh no. Well, it's not that I follow it, but it pops up. But Pete Davidson, first of all, Pete Davidson. Okay, <laughs> that's number one. But he gets obviously every but the, Kim, she's like Two centuries ago, he's run the he's gone through the mill of all these gorgeous, beautiful women, one of whom was like 20 years older than him, Kate Beckinsdale or whatever. He he's international. <laughs> he's got an international <laughs> list of stunning beauties. The dude's got game. He's got game. He's he's clearly hilarious or something, but Okay, Staten Island's in the house. Staten Island, he's got game. I heard he has a, a very large band member. Oh, uh, okay. Is, oh. So, so oh. you know, just oh, just hearing and just saying. Just hearing, just hearing and saying. <laughs> this is what you know. What I've heard through the through the Twitterverse. I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, but you know, I, can't read anything. Can't trust anything you read no, on the Twitterverse yeah, that's these true. days. That's true. These days. But anyway, um, anyway, I I have been very very lucky uh, in my career, and I was really lucky. Um, after I came out of college, I went to Hofstra University, which was like, if you didn't get into NYU, you went to either Bard or Hofstra. I think that's, I, I didn't apply to NYU, but anyway, I went to Hofstra and, um, a lot of my friends that I went to college with are still my close, close, close friends today, which is great. Um, but I didn't know what I was doing. I, you know, I was like, yeah, I want to be an actress. You know, I mean, I just, it was like, do you have any skills? Like, are there any <laughs> skills here? You know, uh, not really. Um, couldn't barely put together a resume. Um, but I was really smart in one way. I recognized other people's talent. And I went to see Charles Bush in a, in a one-man show that he was doing called Alone with a Cast of Thousands. 
And before anyone was doing anything like this, Charles was sort of doing a gender bender kind of show where he would play a, a woman, a man, he with just one little prop. And he would do these fascinating monologues. And uh, I thought it was just fantastic. And even though I might have not had a good skill set, I was I had a lot of friends and I was constantly bringing my friends to his show. And he he was, I think, very amazed that I was, you know, had all these friends because he couldn't get an audience. (laughs) And I provided him with an audience. Anyway, I said to myself, this guy's on to something. And um, we ended up along with other people, starting a theater company. And he wrote uh, Vampire Lesbians of Sodom, (laughs) which is the greatest title ever, really. Come on, let's just say it. It's really the greatest title. And it ran off Broadway for six years, Mm -hmm. and it gave us careers. And that really was the the start of something. And then uh, he wrote so many other plays, and we really became a very, very big presence in the off-Broadway, you know, world. And ultimately, I wanted to go uptown, as it were, to make more money and be on Broadway. And I remember Charles saying to me, like, well, how how are you going to do that? You you can't sing or dance. Um, But the Roundabout Theater was doing a lot of revivals. They did a lot of, you know, like Kaufman and Hart and... Still do. Yeah, they still do. Were then, but they still do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I was someone who really knew how to do that kind of, you know, talk real fast kind of thing. You know, like, you know, his gal Friday, you know, hey, say you, you're going to, you know, you just got out of the clink. Is that what I hear? You know, that kind of, that rapid fire delivery. And they always had a need for, you know, that fast talking a tough sounding lady who, you know, kind of like tough with a heart of gold, that kind of person. <laughs> so um, that's, I started getting those parts and it really did bring me uptown. So I was very grateful. Where did the, where did the love for theater come from in the first place when you were like little Julie growing in Flushing, right? That's where you grew up? Well, no, I was born in Flushing, but I ended up basically from four years old on I was in Comac, Long Island. Okay, so flushing to Long Island, and then- yeah, big big leap there, <laughs> big leap, and so different. Yeah. <laughs> so then, but uh, I, were you always just drawn to the theater, or did you just like randomly you're like I don't know what else I'm gonna do? Let me go try to just because with someone without the singing and the and the dancing training, it's. This is unusual, I feel like, for someone just to be like, I have to do that. Uh, Absolutely a great and fair question. Because usually when people, you know, are dancers or singers, they're like, Mom, I have to be enrolled in this school or whatever. Um, It was really in a a way through my mom, who loved uh, all things showbiz. And my mom, literally one afternoon... I'll never forget it. And my sisters and I still talk about it. You know, my dad was going to work late. She was bored, I think. The house was clean. She took her three little girls and brought us to the Huntington, like, mini cinema. And we saw West Side Story. Mm. 
No, you can imagine. I was like nine years old. I think my sister Mary was like seven. It was not even really for kids. No, no, it it's not. not a, it's kids. not a kids show. It's not a kids show. There's violence. There's some language kind yeah. of stuff, you know. Um, and my older sister, uh, she was like fourteen, maybe or thirteen. We were enraptured. We that was it. That was it. Uh, we bought the album. We went crazy, and I was just like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be an actress. I again now. At another point, somebody might have said, take her to a psychiatrist. <laughs> take her to you a know, shrink. Take her to a shrink. <laughs> she's, she's got some, you know, that she has to get out. But don't encourage it. Don't encourage it. But I think my mom saw that I was the kind of kid, you know, I was a middle child. I was actually kind of a daydreamer. And I think she needed, she wanted me to get involved in something. I wasn't sports oriented. Um, my older sister was an artist. My younger sister was sports oriented. I needed something. Yikes, here we go. And um, shockingly, <laughs> other sane adults have allowed me a career. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. But it's been wonderful. And I learned so much. And, you know, people say, well, you didn't go to a conservatory. You didn't train, really. You know, that kind of thing. You know, I trained by doing. That's how you, and it, that really is the best training in the world. Get out there. I agree. I absolutely agree. And for comedy, come on. Comedy, comedy's I think the hardest thing to do. It it is. And you have to be so intelligent and so uh, on top of it and aware and perceptive to be good at at, at comedy cuz people I've met so many class clowns that are just like I'm going to go out there and and be funny and then when they get there with a scripted with scripted material they can't do it. It's hard and it's work. It's so much work. And I just recently did my show at Birdland. And I, I have to, I'll say it, it was a massive sellout. Um, and it was really, it turned out amazingly. Uh, so I was really thrilled. And it looks like it's going to have another life. Um, I wrote it over a number of months, actually. And I do not like to go off script too much. You know, I, I talked to, dare I say, I'm because I'm a name dropper, I talked to Bill Irwin about this one time, and Bill and I were talking, and he, you know, he's such an artist, and he is so physically present, and he will rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and practice and rehearse, and he'll do it, and if he doesn't like one thing, he'll go back again and do it, and quite frankly, I don't like to be improv in my act. However, things come up. You know, <laughs> somebody says something. Somebody says something. At one point, a cell phone went off. And I was like, do I have to be Patti Lapone? You know, you can say something. You can go off script. 
but you got to get back quick. Mm -hmm. And it takes that kind of like what you were saying, quickness, got to be smart, got to be fast. Um, because comedy is so much a relationship with the audience. And if they sense that you're not, if they sense that you're scared, it will scare them. You have to be so confident. To me, the three C's of comedy, um, confidence, clarity, and commitment. If you're going to do something, we also have to hear it. So that's the clarity. You got to walk on confident because if you come on, unless your persona is the, you know, unconfident person, that's something else. But even if you're persona is the unconfident person. You have to be very confident in pursuing that persona. <laughs> it's a very interesting dynamic. Um, I think one of the things that was so alluring the other night doing this at Birdland was it was the first time I'd been on that stage in three years. It was the first time a lot of us had been together in a long time. That was very magical as well. But on the other hand, I did not, I don't deviate. Um, I really practice, practice, practice. I feel sorry for my neighbors because mm. they got to hear it. Although they're getting a free show. Um, best seat. They're getting a free show and a best seat. Uh, but I don't, I, I really like a level of professionalism that uh, requires um, real memorization, you know, real presence a certain amount of acting skills and whatnot. Uh, so, I, yeah, I think it's very precise. You know, uh, comedy is very difficult. What, very difficult. What's the difference then in your mind between uh, like the, the one person shows that you're doing, the one woman shows, and, and just a straight stand-up comedy routine? Well, the, a great stand-up is also incredible artistry. Incredible. Um, I think... What I tend to get a little, um, I guess, uh, discouraged about is sometimes when I see stand-ups that are unprepared, they just carry notes with them or like they ramble a lot and um, they they might do like two or three really fantastic jokes. Then they kind of ramble for a while. Then they kind of get back on track then do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not, it doesn't have the rigor that I think could be really brilliant because a brilliant stand-up is mind-blowing. Yeah. It's just mind-blowing. You know, I remember uh, one time seeing uh, Mario Cantone for the first time doing, my first time seeing him and witnessing him doing a one-hour show at Caroline's. I was... I almost had to go to the hospital. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> but, you know, someone like Jerry Seinfeld, for example, seeing some of his specials where he, and he's talked about it in articles, he is a practice nut. He will not do anything until he feels it is perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, name dropping again, Nora Ephron. I knew her. I knew Nora. Um, <laughs> Nora Ephron once told me that she will literally sometimes spend an entire afternoon crafting the perfect sentence. 
Really? Oh, yeah. She'll write, you know, glibly. She would write sort of, but she would go back and change, change a word, change this, change a phrase, change. And she said, it sometimes it, it can be driving you crazy, but if I knew that there was something better, I would just keep at it. And, you know, that's something. I mean, that's not nothing. There, There's the the audience too which i think i mean an audience is a character in a comedy show Absolutely. because you have to you have to wait for them and i i was talking to hunter foster the other day um uh, name drop my own stuff yes yeah uh, and he was telling me about the griswold you know doing the workshop of griswold in seattle and like they they would the first night you get an audience right it's all of a sudden uh, places you thought like you can't rehearse hold for laughter no and, no no right and so the stuff that the crew consistently laughs at or the creative team while you're rehearsing or whatever like oh, you yeah. get on stage and then it drops flat and stuff that you would never think would get a laugh is just like bringing the house down and then he was saying too that there's things that's like it takes experience but if you just hold something for just like one more second or two more seconds, then that second wave of laughter starts coming around. And it's, it's the whole thing to me is fascinating how great comedians can literally like control, control the audience like that. And it is so malleable. My late husband, Ralph Howard was so helpful to me. He was the one who used to, not that he would really watch my act, but I would ask him questions sometimes and he was the one who would say to me, once you land that one punchline, Julie, take a look at the audience. Because some of the stuff I, like the wedding announcements in the New York Times, which are so absurd sometimes, <laughs> he would say, take that extra moment and look at the audience with that look on your face of, are you believing this? And I never realized that's the second wave there could even be a third wave. Um, and he was the one who really encouraged me to take a look at that. And he said, it can be silent. You just got to look at them. Like, are we believing this? And he was so right. And it, it, it is one of my favorite things to do now. Yeah. And you wrote, gosh, I was reading that you wrote a series of one woman comedy shows. Gosh, it was back uh, in the early, late 80s, early oh, 90s. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Eventually led to successful off-Broadway production entitled Julie Halston's Lifetime of Comedy, which was in 92. And yes. then that awards, awards, awards. And then you got a CBS Network deal yes. out of that yes. co-starring Harvey Feierstein. Yes, and and we did this pilot. Eileen Heckert was in it. Um, uh, oh, the guy, what's his name? David... I'm a pepper. You're a pepper. I, it was like, oh, God. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. David Naughton, I believe. His, yeah, David Naughton. Um, we a had pepper, a great cast. A um, anyway, it was the precursor to Will and Grace, but it was like nine years ahead of its time. It was about a divorced girl who moves in with her gay friend, and uh, actually, Harvey's memoir, because Harvey has a memoir, because uh, it's a fantastic memoir called I Was Better Last Night. Um, <laughs> he talks about this experience in the book. And um, 
she moves in with her gay friend and they have wild adventures. Well, it didn't go. Um, however, it did give me money and I was able, but I, I, of course, the thing that's a riot about Hollywood, and it really is true, like when they want you, they fly you first class. I got maybe the largest fruit basket I've ever seen in the history of fruit baskets. But I don't even like fruit. And exactly. It was like, <laughs> wait, are there chocolates on the bottom of this? And then they were like floral tributes and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then like, if it doesn't go, you're literally flown home in steerage <laughs> and you, you, you know, like it, it's, it's shove you in the cargo. They kind of do, like with the pets. <laughs> it's really sad. It's like, oh, you're a loser. Um, so I did feel like a loser uh, for a little while. But um, the thing is, I had also sort of just gotten married to my husband, and I really wanted to be in New York because a few people said, "Well, why don't you move out to LA?" Well, he was the anchorman for 1010 Wins in New York. That was not, not going to move to L.A. Anyway, I got over it. But the good news is it de I developed a lifelong friendship with Harvey Firestein. And that was really what really the best thing that came out of it. Did the did the pilot get picked up? Or no, you, you it just never did, got picked never up. Picked it just up. it yeah, was like bye bye. Yeah. So no one's ever seen it. No, no, you've not seen it. It wow. must be in a vault somewhere. Where does that go? There are so many unlit, uh, ungreenlit, not greenlit yes. pilots. Yes, that have to live somewhere. They've got to be living in these old vaults somewhere. I don't know because I don't know. That's a very good question. It really is. It's all a right. good question. Network executives, all of you who listen to this podcast, yeah. we want this this pilot because I need to see it. I want to see it and I want... Uh, it was called Those Two. Those Two. Those Two. CBS. Those Two. And I think we even did a picture like back to back. With your like, arms crossed. Yeah. yeah. It was, <laughs> was kind of scary. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and so... With the the one woman shows and everything that you continually still do, you're still doing. You yes. just did one of Birdland. Do are you doing those because like you just you want to keep going or just, are you you can't sit still? Like I I I find myself sometimes I'm like, oh, what can I do tonight? I guess I'm gonna go try to invent something because I'm bored right now. Like how some yeah. people are like that and some people are like I just want to take a nap and I I, I vacillate between the two wildly. That is exactly me. That is exactly me. It's either do not bother me or, oh, I've just written a new show and I'm going <laughs> to do it. And, you know, and that's it. Um, however, this is the other thing. And the world, of course, the world right now is beyond exploding, crazy. I don't know if there is going to be a world. I'm like, that's a whole nother thing. Um, however, I am always looking at the absurdity of life. Um, and I love sharing that, you know, sort of incredulity with other people. So that's why I love to read things. You know, like when I remember a, a Brooks Ashmankus, another, you know, not dropping names. I love Brooks. Hey, we, everyone loves Brooks. Um, you know, he always says to me, Julie Halston, she makes a living. She just reads things. <laughs> is, is that her 
Is that really? That's what she does? She reads things? I'm like, yes, but I, I read them the way other people don't read them. But um, anyway, uh, I love <laughs> to, uh, you know, point out the absurdity of things. You know, one of the readings I did at Birdland was uh, Kate Moss, you know, the supermodel Kate Moss. Well, apparently in Vogue, it was this was in the same... Um, issue that the, the the wedding announcement was in. Kate Moss, I don't know if you know this, Alan, but Kate Moss is, um, you know, contemplating her life now. She's, she's no, meditating I'm, a lot. I'm still behind on Pete Davidson. I'm, oh, okay. I'm yeah. No, Moss, and I yeah. understand. Well, she'll, she'll be dating him soon. Uh, yeah, that's well, tomorrow's That's news. tomorrow's We're breaking news. early. Right, you heard it here um, first. Yes. She, um, she started her own wellness brand <laughs> called... Uh, Cosmos. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's so funny. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> See, this is what I'm saying. And I read this, and the woman who wrote the article was a very good friend of Kate's. She's a, a woman named Rosemary Ferguson. She's a certified functional practitioner. What the hell is that? And apparently she's um, helping Kate... Moss fix her adrenal glands <gasps> because Kate apparently is trying to fix herself up because her adrenal glands were effed up. They were <laughs> effed up. I think from a lot of drinking and drug partying, whatever. Okay. Here's my thing of absurdity. She has a wellness brand, Cosmos. She uses only vegan ingredients, plant-based, sustainably sourced. She's into being green and nothing inauthentic. She wants everything to be pure and green, environmentally conscious. But she also wants us to know that she's also the new creative director for Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not, Ella. She's the new creative director for Diet Coke. Diet Coke! <sighs> Because, you know, she wants to fix her adrenals. I don't think that's going to do it. No. I don't think. I think that might F them up again. Yeah. I'm just saying. Just saying. Yeah. I, I think that's the wrong way to go, Miss Moss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cosmos. Um, you need to talk to Pete. Pete. Pete will really get, yeah, put yeah, it straight now. There you go. Yeah. Because yeah, he's now uh, pushing Taco Bell. <laughs> But you know, you, there's your next idea for your next show. Is it's the the dating life of Pete Davidson? They, I, you know what? It's a good idea, darling. It's Sorry, a good idea. Let's just go through all the ladies. <laughs> go through all the ladies. So anyway, so that's 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 what I do, and I think I am like you in that. I I either go like I have to just nap, or I'm gonna do a show. I'm gonna, you know, help a friend write, like maybe a pilot, or do you know what I mean? I, I yeah, I gotta keep busy, and um, I, I have no intention of ever retiring, ever, ever. I don't, I don't think actresses do retire. I think the, I think the business retires you, perhaps. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I also think I love learning new things. I, you know, why would I? I like to do. I like to always try to do something else. Well, speaking of new things. Yes. What about Rolling Calls? Oh, my the goodness. The new scripted audio comedy. You played Dinah Levine. Dinah Levine. You know, 
Gordon had been talking to me. Gordon Greenberg. Gordon Greenberg. Gordon Greenberg uh, had been talking to me about this. And uh, and Steve Rosen, Steve Rosen and I, by the way, Steve Rosen makes me laugh like like nobody does. Steve Rosen and I did a confederacy of dunces in Boston at the Huntington Theater with Nick Offerman, Arnie Burton, Talene Monahan. We, uh, it is still one of the most fun things I've ever done in my entire life. Stephen Gordon wrote this, you know series, rolling calls. Gordon kept saying to me, there's only one person I want to play Dinah. It's you. You got to do it. You got to do it. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know, you know, and I didn't know we would all be doing this. And, and of course, it's a great idea, you know, but until you do it, you don't know if it's really going to work. Mm-hmm. Um. Gordon's a terrific director. Uh, you were part of our of the team, the production team, yeah. Production team. It really came out well. I love it. It's I, really good. And now I'm I'm two for two. Every time I've been with Richard Kind, he's fallen asleep with me. Oh, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> Richard is his own creation. I love darling. Richard. I love he's, Richard. Yeah, no, we all love Richard, but he's his own creation. <laughs> We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Yeah, Richard Kind plays my husband. It's hilarious. It, I, I really would urge everyone to listen to it. It's so fun and so funny. It's about, yes, it's about show business, but it could be about any business. Because the archetypes are there for, you know, so you don't have to be involved in show business necessarily. That might add to it, but anyone could enjoy it. I loved, I just loved watching uh, the creative process uh, with with you um, because we recorded you and Richard in person, which was actually the first thing that we had done uh, in, yeah, in person since covid right yes. cuz it was like the mandates equity was lifting these all these rules at that point and it was the first time that we got together in person and and just watching again you're talking about the the comedy uh going in the comedy of it the way that um like Gordon's a serious dude but he knows how to direct comedy and, and it's i don't know what i'm trying to say in my head, I'm picturing like the 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 that meme of um, Zach Galifianakis, where he you know where his like all the yes all the equations are floating around his head. Yes. I'm picturing like that's that's putting together the perfect comedy, and to watch it in real time and sit in the same room as you're doing this was was an experience that I won't ever forget. It's just been it's been so much fun, and I still well, think about it. Yes, and Gordon, what was so great too is, and I do think when you're a writer. You do have an idea in your head about how you want to hear it, you know, certain lines or a scene. Uh, but the thing that I thought was great with Gordon is he would allow us, he'd say, okay, emphasize this word now. Okay, now emphasize this word. And it would sort of change the comedy rhythm a little bit. And then he would be like, oh, okay, 
one more time and do you know what I mean? Where, to, you know, uh, do it the way you want, for example, or something like that. We actually had what I think is great, both guidance and freedom to do what we wanted, but with guidance. And Gordon's ear is good. Mm -hmm. uh, and he knew the right take. And also, look, Richard Kind, myself, a lot of people involved with this production, they're, they're, they're seasoned. They know how to do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they know how yeah. to make it funny. Um, Dinah, Dinah is a funny, outrageous character. And what was so great is we had the freedom to be able to, you know, if she if she was going to scream, she's going to scream, you know, and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, you can make it funny. And then there were also, which I loved, when Gordon said, you know, this is something that's real for her. She needs to be actually truly upset about that. And that was lovely, too, to have a moment where you could just be a human being. She doesn't have to be an outrageous character. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I am I'm really impressed. I hope we can do rolling calls some more because I, I think it's I think it's worthy. I really do. I think I, it's worth it. I think it's great. It, was this the first project you'd done uh, where you weren't in the same room with everybody in the same scene that you were talking with? Um, no. Because we, we recorded it, mostly individuals, just their lines reading against Gordon or reading against others. But it's it, there's a lot of people who are like, wow, this is really weird because I can't like read against my actual scene partner. Right. Yeah, no, I did do a few things like that with some readings that because some of the some of the people weren't able to even be there. That was a little odd. Um I think we're all very happy that we're not just zooming now. And I actually read today on Broadway briefing that they're actually going to do dance auditions now in person and they're going to start doing in-person auditions again, still socially distanced. But I thought to myself, well, that's always been the case. You know? <laughs> it's like, you know, Nick Heitner is over there and he will not be coming over to you. That Whatever. But Bernie, Bernie tells he doesn't get more than six feet. Yeah, from yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're going to be over there. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I think it's great that we, that's kind of wonderful that people can actually relate, you know, see people in a room. Uh, no, it's very odd. Uh, the thing that is great, and of course, you're a tech whiz, you made us sound great, and you have great equipment, is that you can do these things. So that if you can't all be in the room, this can happen. You can still create this great show. And we did. Uh, on the other hand, ultimately, people like being in a room. Absolutely. You know? I, preference, strong preference is, is to get the same equipment, everybody in a room, and we're all reading together. The timing is there, and you get to like take it over and over again. But out of necessity, you find these solutions. Because for, for like when Broadway shut down. How about that? How about that Broadway shut down? <laughs> how about them apples? How about how about walking? I'll never forget this. 
remember like in the beginning it really was like the movie like the pod people or something um or like the day the earth stood still or whatever i walked in the middle of 5th avenue not a car not a person boarded up you know 5th avenue it was so awful and yet like and it was silent all the marquees were off that was so sad and i just remember thinking i wonder if it will ever come back and you know it's um it's coming back slowly but surely but there's still people getting sick and they have to be real careful and uh the tourists the uh, the culture i think the culture's changed i do too uh because i mean what's what's surviving right now aside from almost nothing um funny girl <laughs> funny girl because of one person we because can of say. one person and like you have the the revival of of company that wins the tony and closes a, a month later a strange loop a strange lo- loop yes wins the tony and now they're closing in january and it's i don't know it's like if you're not I, I people are going to take this the wrong way. Whatever, right? Slip into my DMs. If you're not recycled garbage, then you can't survive with with on Broadway right now. With I guess it's is it a generational thing? Is it an attention span thing? And and nothing against Six. Actually, one of my absolute favorite shows. Okay, it's eighty minutes, no intermission, pop concert. Right. Right. Geared towards... Fun costumes. Fun costumes, right? Right. And there, there's a lot of deep meaning behind it when you peel back the layers, but it's not like a company. It's, right. Right, right? It's right. like the fact that even Into the Woods right now is going as long as it is, I think is partially because of the casting they keep cycling through. Right, right. Which is right. still unusual. So... It's also a brilliant take on it. It it's is. It's brilliant. You know, it's beautifully done. Um, however, I think you're right. I think the culture has changed. Uh, listen, Billy Crystal could not get those Long Island Jews to see him. He couldn't. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't come out. They didn't come out. They're like, I was sick with COVID. No, I'll I'm not going. i you on the television. Yes, I can't. And you know what? I can't blame them. Cannot blame them. And then there are others, I think, who are like, I don't really want to wear a mask or maybe I'll wear a mask, but I don't want to spend $250, right? There's that. Now, a lot of what I'm seeing is a lot of um, shows are offering tremendous discounts, Mm -hmm. tremendous. And that's great. I don't know how they're going to stay open. They can't. Not, Not with the theater, not with the cost of real estate. Exactly. So it's like, okay, but... That might give you a month. So I think we've got a lot to unpack here. Economics, culture, tourists, New York. Not that people, I mean, look, you and I are New Yorkers. Um, People are hearing scary stories about New York right now. Mm -hmm. I can't can't ride on a subway. I can't walk down the street. Uh, You know, whatever. I think COVID has also made people feel very overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed, particularly when you have kids, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like I had to teach them. I had to take, now I'm taking them there, but I'm already like, I'm still working from home half the time, but it's, they're overwhelmed. 
So, you know, the last thing they're going to want to do is like, I don't know, you know, see a brand new musical. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's like, no, I, I'm, I'm barely getting into my bed at night, you know? So we have to really, I think, this is a big discussion because the other problem is the theater affects the nightlife of this city and the pulse of this city. It's, it's billions of dollars can be lost. Absolutely. People won't go out. They won't go to hotel industry, hotels. travel industry, They won't restaurant. go to the restaurant, the bar. Um, you know, so it's a, this is a big discussion. And I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen next. But to, to not be cognizant of that would just be foolhardy. And we also have a cultural change in the way things are going to be presented. We now have um, diversity issues, inclusion issues, mm -hmm. gender issues, um, the way things are going to be addressed. Um, and that also makes it very tricky for comedy, by the way. Um Judy Gold and I were talking about this, you know. People talk about being triggered. And of course, as artists, there's a part of us that want to trigger situations because it involves discussion and enlightenment or controversy. And so that's another issue. I actually got um, censured today by Facebook because... Um, a friend of mine is opening tonight for the first preview of um, Some Like It Hot. Mm. So I wrote, hey, girl, kill the people. Oh, oh. I got censured by Facebook, so I had to take it down. And I was like, okay, they don't know theater parlance. So I'm not going to say, like, break a leg anymore, kill the people, <laughs> crush it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I was like, oh, man, okay. I get it. I get it. Yeah. I yeah. definitely get it, and particularly in light of what's going on. I shouldn't have done that, but, oh, but. Joker. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah, no, it's tough. I, I who was I hearing talk about that the other day? It was another comedian. It was something on TV, and somebody I don't know personally that was was like you, you, you have to. Uh, the, I guess the line that you have to walk between being offensive and being funny is so narrow now, and because you can fall into the offensive side so easily, and and also somebody can pull out a phone. Yes. Right on you right away. So it's like already we're in a different situation. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. How yeah. would you solve the world's slash New York's theater problems then? Wave a magic wand. Oh, man. Th this is something I, I am actually deeply concerned about and deeply trying to think about. Um, well, we have we have one big issue that really has to be dealt with, which is um, we're still dealing with COVID. And one of the things, uh, 
nobody wants to really sort of deal with this, but actors are still getting sick. Uh, I went to, for example, I went to the revival of Take Me Out the other night. It was so glorious. It was fantastic. I wore a mask. Most people were not masked. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine sat in front of me. She was not masked. We heard the next day she is tested for COVID. So I thought, okay, now we all tested negative. That's all great. However, now I'm hearing more and more people unmasked are coming down with COVID. Mm -hmm. So first of all, there are still super spreader events. And this is really wild. The theater, you are still close to people. You're right packed in. Yeah. I know they want to lift the masks, but I'm beginning to think, guys, there's another variant. We got to be really cognizant here. I do think we have to, number one, be a little more cognizant. People are flying around New York right now, no masks in stores, bars. Do you know what I mean? Theater. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's a, it's a discussion no one wants to have, but I think maybe we, we might have to have it. Um, I'm wondering if uh, there could be a real resurgence in Off-Broadway. Ooh, interesting. I Smaller wonder, houses. Yeah, yeah. Less expensive to, to put up. Yeah, and maybe we could do some interesting plays and musicals, whatever. But maybe this could be the time. Because Off-Broadway has been just like the ugly stepsister of Broadway for so long. And maybe this is a time where a real emergence of Off-Broadway could happen. So that's something I'm kind of hoping for. I'm going to see this play, You Will Get Sick, at the Laura Pell's on November 6th. And I'm very interested to see how this goes. It's also much less expensive for an audience member. Mm -hmm. I wonder I wonder if oh, along those lines, the city if the city could subsidize marketing budgets for off-Broadway. Because that's that's where you can't compete with your big Broadway budgets. No, no, you can't. When you're, you know. Yeah, like I've seen the Stranger Things, the Stranger Things parody. Oh yes, on yes. Trash cans. Yes. And and maybe on Taxi Cab. It's like there are so few, there are so few off Broadway shows and outlets and outlets. Right. And like even Titanic right now, off Broadway at the Asylum is actually it's November now, so I think they just transferred to Daryl Roth. And they did. They were at the Daryl Roth. Yeah, yeah. And one of the funniest things yes. I've seen in years. And I don't see a damn bit of advertisement for it. And yeah. it's all relying on this word of mouth. This is on word of mouth. Yeah. yeah. And here's the other thing. Uh, you need to have public officials that are into the theater. Yes. That's the thing. And, you know, Mayor de Blasio didn't go to the theater. He had a, his own agenda. Do you mm -hmm, know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It would be helpful if we had public officials who were really interested in the arts. Who are they? Where are they? Step up. <laughs> Where are they? Come on. 
Yeah. I mean, you it's a lot there's a lot of lip service that's played, you know. But uh, I don't the, they talk about, you know, oh, we have to have the arts for inner city children. Oh, we have to have the arts for the, you know, the children of COVID and we need to get them back. But they won't give a dime. We need public officials to really value the arts. And we also need to un- for them to understand that the arts brings in tons of money to this city. So much. You know, I, I, I remember reading years ago that, you know, people think like, well, it must be sports. Believe it or not, I think it's actually the arts even more than sports in New York City. We can, I don't know what the latest statistics of, of that are, but come on. But we need public officials to step it up and really um, value it. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. I agree. That was that was um, one of the big the big campaigns. I think not campaigns. It was just so, uh, theater Twitter. You know, the social medias for a while in the middle of COVID were were just like, hey, government, all of your actors in New York who are responsible for your $2 billion a year profit are sitting on their ass starving because nothing's being done right now. So I, yeah, I totally, I totally get that. I understand. And yeah, there needs to be something. And I don't think, I don't see how big houses can continue to, to have shows that last at all. With with the real estate prices like they are, and then the cost of execution of these shows and whatnot. I mean, look at Phantom. Gosh, Phantom now. Close. Chicago, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's... Right. But remember, know. too, that, uh, you know, and again, I, I, I speak with some reverence, you know, but theater owners are the landlords. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? They, they, they own it, and they can rent it, and they might love theater, but at a certain point, they might put an ice skating rink in there. You know, I mean, it's their property. Mm-hmm. And you never know, you know, and you just go, oh, my God, wait a minute. Didn't I see like, didn't I see Tennessee Williams there? And now, wait, it's two parodies, parodies of like, the Captain and Tennille are in there. I don't know, whatever. And I love the Captain and Tennille, but like a parody of that. I don't know. It just, see, you, again, the commitment. The, it's got to be the commitment. Um, but nobody wants to lose money. No one can afford to and lose no money. no one can afford to lose. Some people can afford to lose money. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk can afford <laughs> to give me money. <laughs> Elon Musk should bail out New York theater. Thank you. He can afford to do it. He and, can. And Yeezy. Or, and Yeezy. Or Kanye. Kanye. Yeezy. I don't know exactly. what the hell he's going He can he's afford to do it. Right. Right. Give me the money. I'll know what to do with it. Or give us the money. We'll know what to do with it. But that's the thing. We're dealing with a kind of a strange um, business model as well. This is not like other businesses. You know? It's so unpredictable. And th- that's that's part of the excitement, but also part of the detriment 
because you're going to have you're going to have people who are like I don't know how to calculate my risk and therefore I'm not going to take a chance. Right. And you're going to lose I mean, you know, dealing with the producerial side of things do you run into that all the time? It's like people are like, I want a formula. If I if I put in this much, then this month of time later at, at this much interest. Oh, the rate return of the investment yeah, that yeah. doesn't work that no, way. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. Theater's just like, you better freaking hope that it that people like it. Otherwise, you're gonna lose everything. That's well, theater. But and and most people, I think, who, you know, if you're going to invest in theater, write it off. Yeah. Write it off, you know. Um, but I also think what's, I think, distressing uh, for me uh, is that there's this kind of patron patronization of 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 artists in this country. It's like I remember when I worked on Wall Street one time. Uh, one of the stockbrokers. Wait, you worked on Wall Street? I did. I worked on Wall Street for seven years. That wasn't in your bio. No, it wasn't in the bio. Um, for seven years, I worked as a librarian for Brundage Store and Rose Investment Council. <laughs> I didn't have a library degree, but I was I was motivated. I was going through a divorce. It was a terrible time of my life. But my boss, uh, Douglas Lane, is now my financial advisor, <laughs> and he's really one of my heroes. He's he really saved me. And he was the only guy in the firm who thought it was a riot that I was doing Vampire Lesbians of Sodom at the same time that I was doing my Wall Street gig. Everyone else was horrified. But I remember one time one of the, uh, wasn't a stockbroker, it was one of the um, partners. We were talking about the arts and he, you know, I was like, well, the thing about the arts is, you know, you can't really make a lot of steady income and you kind of have to make a killing in order to make a living. And he goes, well, yeah, but you know, artists, they have to understand they're not going to get paid a lot, but you love what you do. And I said, you make millions and you love what you do too. That's not the right argument. And he was like, oh, well, because that's very patronizing. It's condescending. It's incredible. Oh, but you love what you do, so you should be poor. No, you love what you do, and you're rich. No, don't buy it. Uh-uh. Anyway, that was a long time ago. But, uh, yeah, that was a tough time in my life. But I did work on Wall Street. and uh, But I learned a lot. And I, I learned, you know, how the world really works. And I was like, oh, I get it. You play golf with that guy, and now you're a junior partner. Mm-hmm. Really? Oh, I get it. Your mother knew his mother, and she got you guys into the right prep school, and now you're all part of the firm. Okay, I get mm-hmm. it. Now I get it. So I was like, networking, networking, networking. I get it. Um, because it was very powerful for me to really understand, you know, and the, and they, believe me, there was a lot of the right middle school, the right uh, prep school, the right college, the right 
you know, graduate program. Oh, my God. And I do remember one time this one guy, kind of dumb as a box of hair. I'll say it. <laughs> a box of hair. Dumb as a box of hair. Was rising through the ranks because of his dad. Yeah. And that wasn't even the former president. It was another person. <laughs> but like I learned then, it was like, oh, okay, I see how this works. It was a, it was a very good education. It's like that a lot, unfortunately. Oh yes. In in it, it's power play, right? It's it's you oh, don't yeah. want to piss off the son of the person who could take away your big account. No, no, no. So. Yeah, no. It's really something, but. You know, and here's the other thing. We come into the business that we're in with a sense of passion, love, uh, insecurity, let's say it. You know, a lot of us are, you know, look at me, look at me. You know, as I said to people one time, I got into show business maybe for the look at me thing, but it's not what maintained my career. I stayed with it for something else. Uh, because I love the work and the community. Um, it's very fulfilling. If it was just look at me, look at me, look at me, uh, that would, no, yeah. doesn't sustain itself. Well, you have to be happy where you are. Otherwise, you're going to keep searching and you're never going to find, you're never going to find what you want if you're, if you can't stop and reflect on what you've done, you've no, already done. No, yeah, no, that's just, that's just, craziness <laughs> that's just called crazy uh so you know i also and i'm not in this field but i'll be curious to know and i i, I am going to take a look around this the educational programs that are being presented in uh in our public schools and private schools and whatnot regarding the arts because um, I fear that budgets are going to be just slashed. Mm -hmm. And what does that kid do? You know? So Where do you find that community? Are you, and, you talking about the, like, the community? Theater is uh, one of the most accepting and yes. open-minded, while at the same time being strangely prejudiced and judgmental. Yes. But one yes. of the most accepting and open-minded group of people that you can find yourself falling into. That's That was why part of why I, I found it at first because it was like I was this straight athletic kid who didn't want to hang out with the jocks. Now, see, I did not know this. I'm looking on the wall to see, yes, yes, your, your, your sports. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. me in high school up there behind me. Yes. Yeah. But so how did you get involved? I've always been like... Singing and and doing, I was doing boys choir. I don't know why. I, um, the me too. When I was a a a young lad, yes, singing in the rain, Music Man, and West Side Story, the three movies okay. you mentioned, West Side Story earlier. Yes. Those are the movies that, for whatever reason, my parents had that I watched incessantly on repeat, and. They, I never thought to ask and they never thought to do this, but I didn't go into like voice lessons or dance lessons or whatever. And then when I was a kid, 
we, my dad bought a computer and the first thing I did was like, take it apart. I want to know how it worked on the inside. Oh boy. Oh boy. You really, oh my. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of like the beginning of this conflicting path in my head that I've always been down this path of technology and internet and you know, growth along the the binary bits, zeros and ones, while at the same time pulling in as much of the creative life as I can. It, because it, I, it, I can't leave that. I love it. It's like, yes, I'm going to work on this, but I'm also going to be like 76 trombone. <laughs> okay, that's hilarious. Yeah. That's hilarious. I love it. Yeah, so I'm sitting there in the middle of like my meetings, just singing show tunes in my head, talking about design schemas and database mergers. You know, oh, that's fantastic. Like, oh, God. But yeah, so that's that's my struggle. Anyway. 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 Three, blah, 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 three standard closing questions. Yes. That I ask everyone to wrap up the episodes. The first one simply is just what motivates you? What motivates me? What motivates me? Connection. I love connection. I love, dare I sound so stupid and sort of naive, but I really love people. I love connecting. And that's what keeps me going. Enthusiasm, connection. You know that wonderful E.M. Foster quote, e- only connect? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what keeps me going, connection. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Uh, maybe take a dance lesson. <laughs> <laughs> take a dance lesson, a little voice lesson here or there. Maybe do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, last question then. Super hard. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh, (laughs) there's so many things I love. There's so many things I love. It might be Gypsy. The Patty version? Well, I was in the Bernadette version. I know. (laughs) Um, uh, To be honest, though, it might be anyone's version. It's about... It's about show business. It's about a woman who had a dream who couldn't do it. It's about the drive to get out of small-mindedness. It's about loss and love and losing love. I it's it's got a lot there, mm-hmm. and it it might be it 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 might be Gypsy. There's so many plays too, though. But but it might be Gypsy. I mean, literally, I could probably see a grammar school production of Gypsy, <laughs> and I would still cry in the end. <laughs> I still would cry. I'd like to see a third grade production of Gypsy. I think that would be that'd be interesting. That would be. Are you on social media? Where can we find you? I am. Actress Julie Halston on Insta. Uh Julie Halston, Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Although we're we're discussing Twitter. Maybe not for long. Yeah, but follow me on actress Julie Halston. Um, I'm verified. <laughs> Verified. Uh, Facebook, Julie Halston, at Julie Halston. Yeah, it's I, so I, good. I read that Twitter's like, 
or Twitter. Elon is like, I think we're going to have to start charging people 20 a month to stay verified. I, I don't like that. But now it's down to eight. Oh, is it down to eight it's now? It's down to eight because of Stephen King. Stephen King is like, nobody's going to do this. What are you, nuts? Forget that. So now it's down to eight. But who knows? I, I, uh... mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Follow me on Instagram. Well, that is a great way to end. I, you can follow me at thetheaterpodcast.com or on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Leave a rating, leave a review wherever you're listening. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. Jukebox the Ghost gave us the music. And Julie, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Thank you. I had a blast. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.